I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Sarah Ellis, and this is the Squiggly Careers Podcast, where every week we talk about a different topic to help you navigate the ups and the downs of your job today and take control of your career in the future. This week we're focusing on negotiation, and you're going to hear my conversation with negotiation expert and ex-FBI hostage negotiator, Chris Voss. He's also the author of a brilliant book called Never Split the Difference, And he applies his ideas, tools and techniques all across the world, whether it's teaching students at places like Harvard or working with organisations and teams to help them with practical negotiation skills. What I particularly enjoyed about my conversation with Chris is that his ideas felt very grounded in the real world. And I could imagine myself using everything that we talked about. So we started off by chatting about how having the right mindset really impacts our negotiations and the difference between what he describes as positive and negative emotions. And then we talk about loads of tools. So thinking about things like calibrated questions, the difference between wondering and knowing, which was a particular standout moment for me because that just really resonated as we were chatting that through. And the importance of practising your late night DJ tone and how that can be useful if you're just trying to stay calm and collected in perhaps a particularly difficult negotiation. If you do have a lot of negotiations as part of your job or perhaps you've got an important negotiation coming up, it might be worth grabbing a copy of Chris's book as in the appendix he outlines how to prepare what he calls your negotiation one sheet. And this really helps you to prepare for a negotiation. And he says that preparation yields about a seven to one rate of return. And I really like that that negotiation one sheet really distills all his ideas and his thinking into one place and really help to, I think, think things through before you get started. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As a reminder, you can now get all of the podcast resources that we produce. So the pod sheets, the pod notes in one place by signing up to the weekly pod mail and the link is in the show notes. So that's just helpful if you would like on a Tuesday morning something to pop into your inbox that puts everything together for you. In the meantime, enjoy listening and I'll be back at the end to say goodbye. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today on the Squiggly Careers podcast. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Sarah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. No problem. So I thought it would be useful to ask our careers community what they need help negotiating with so that we can be really specific about how we can help our listeners today. So I thought there were four areas. So I thought we'd just bear these in mind as we go through our conversation. Lots of people asking us about flexible working. Time and resources generally, so I guess in people's day-to-day jobs, maybe you're negotiating with your boss about, you know, you've got too much to do and not enough time, or maybe what projects you'd like to work on because they'd be good for your progression and your experience. Uh, 
And then the third area, which I would guess is the one that comes up quite frequently whenever you're talking in a work context, is promotion and pay. So I wanted to start off with, I loved this quote that you included in your book, which is from Daniel Kahneman. You mentioned that he says, it is self-evident that people are neither fully rational nor completely selfish and that their tastes are anything but stable. And I wondered if you could just start by talking a bit about this idea of we often approach, I think, negotiations as if we were talking to a rational human who was fully logical all of the time. And I appreciate in your experience as a FBI hostage negotiator, of course, that irrational, it feels probably more front of mind. But it sounded to me, certainly when I read the book, that actually that probably applies to all of us. So I wondered if you just wanted to talk to us a bit about that, about how we can understand how almost our brain works and how that helps us to negotiate better. Yeah, right. I mean, that's a tough question because, you know, there's two assumptions that are probably wrong. The other person's rational. And here's the one that everybody finds insulting. The idea that you are. And kind of the way, you know, I try to take this thing out of this for people is, you know, you make decisions based on what you care about, which by definition makes decision making an emotional process. And it's really hard for some people to wrap their minds around because they think of themselves as rational people. I mean, and of course you do. I mean, not that many people think of themselves as irrational or <laughs> even people that recognize their own emotionality. The neuroscientist doesn't support that. The only way you could be rational is to completely disconnect your emotions in your brain. And the only people that have ever done that have brain damage. We make decisions based on what we care about. That can be good and bad, but it just kind of is. It's like our respiratory system. Our respiratory system is functioning as long as we're alive. And the emotion, our emotional interplay with our thinking is functioning as long as we're alive. It just doesn't go away. So your advice would be, first of all, probably accepting, I guess, that we are all emotional and that we bring those emotions to any negotiation. So it's not about trying to ignore or avoid those emotions look kind of let's accept that first and foremost what is then the advice in terms of if you're then going to start to prepare and you know you've got a negotiation coming maybe you want to talk to your manager about moving from a five to a four day week what sort of preparation is most helpful all right yeah great question and then then let's go a little bit further down this emotion path typically we say well don't get emotional or don't be too emotional and let's make a distinction between positive and negative emotions Really what people are talking about when they say you're being emotional, you're being too emotional, they're talking about negative emotions, anger and fear. And those are intertwined and pretty much, you know, every negative emotion is an outcrop from fear at some level. So negative emotions, fear and anger actually make us dumber and positive emotions actually make us smarter. And so you're either being driven primarily by one or the other or a combination of the two. How can I say positive emotions make us smarter? Sean Acker did this great TED talk. He's a Harvard psychologist. That's the source of my data. I think it's called the happiness advantage. You know, and Sean says you're 31% smarter in a positive frame of mind. So if you're smarter when you're positive, by definition, you're dumber when you're negative. And one of the problems with the negative emotions is they're simultaneously frequently self-righteous. You know, there's an old phrase, you know, give a speech when you're angry and it will be the greatest speech you ever regret. It just closes our thinking. 
So in your preparation, first of all, sort the two out. Neuroscientists also told us that the crossroads or the command post of our emotional wiring is something called the amygdala. Almost everybody's heard of the amygdala hijack. You know, your emotions have hijacked you. Well, science has mapped out the amygdala and three quarters of the space in the amygdala is devoted to the amplification of negative thoughts. Now, I'm a layman. In my view, if three quarters of the crossroads is dedicated to negativity, then that gives me a pretty good rule of thumb for the ratio of what I got to deal with, negatives to positive. And we find an application that if I want somebody to listen to me, the negatives are going to be swirling in their brain till I deactivate them. And that kind of gets us back to this preparation sheet. Don't just summarize the other side's perspective. Summarize the bad things that you just assume weren't there, that you would prefer to tell them, please don't feel this, or I don't want you to think, the denial. If you listen to your gut instinct about what would I like to deny, that's actually a great analytical device for what instead of denying, you got to identify. You know, we call this the elephant in the room. You don't get rid of the elephant in the room by looking at somebody and saying, look, I don't want you to think there's an elephant in the room. There's an elephant in the room. And if you deny it, it angers them. They're like, what do you, you think I'm stupid? You think I can't see that elephant? You don't think that elephant's weighing on my mind? And our approach, which is so counterintuitive in a black swan method, instead of denying it, say, you know, there's an elephant in the room. You know, what we think is a reinforcement of the negative emotion. And that's really the crux to tactical empathy. How it is for the other side is a vastly different experience. And we feel that we're reinforcing their thoughts while they're thinking like, wow, this person is honest. This person understands what I'm faced with. This person understands what I'm up against. It becomes a bonding experience for them. While we're horrified, they feel closer to us. And I wanted to talk about BATNA because I was taught BATNA and I think lots of people will be familiar with BATNA. But in case people aren't, it stands for Best Alternative to a Negotiated Agreement. And it often gets taught in lots of negotiations. If you go on a negotiation training course or workshop, you would hear BATNA quite a lot. And even like my friends who I've worked with on similar leadership teams, we would even like joke and say, you know, if you're trying to buy a house or buy a car and those kind of things. People are like, have you worked out your BATNA? It always felt like the thing you had to like spend some time thinking about. And, you know, you talk in the book about how it felt like it was genius when people first came up with it and when it was first used. But perhaps it is problematic and there may be a better way for all of my friends who I've worked with over, certainly over the years and I think lots of our listeners who might kind of go, oh, that's the kind of go-to tool. And I think lots of people would know that. Why can it be problematic and perhaps what should we be considering instead? You know, I'm really glad you brought that up because that's probably one of the classic reasons why, you know, the getting to yes and the intellectual approach pioneered by my brothers and sisters at Harvard, they've been saddled with this bad idea and it's a cornerstone <laughs> and it's intellectually brilliant and human beings not being intellectually brilliant, rationally unassailable which means it is massively flawed in application with human beings. What actually happens is 
one of two things. First of all, if you don't have a good bat, now you, you're taking yourself hostage. You're horrified. You're scared to get into the negotiations. You, I got no leverage. Leverage is such a two-dimensional concept. It's just you're a hostage if you got to have bad. And my good fortune was my entire approach from the beginning in negotiations was no bad. And I just accepted that, okay, we got no bad. You know, we got to get in here. We don't need to sound like we have to make a deal. You know, there's a big difference between whether or not you sound like you have to make a deal or whether you know that you do. And it's kind of like walking a tightrope with no net. That's a psychological crutch. Your ability to walk that tightrope is not changed by the fact that there's a net under you because you can't touch it. You can't feel it. You know, it doesn't make you any weaker or stronger. It doesn't mean you got a better or worse night's sleep. It doesn't change the shoes that you have on. All the other preparation doesn't change your focus. It's a figment of your imagination. So what is batting it though? Oh my God, I, I can't negotiate. I'm a hostage. I got no batting. Or what the other thing that we see, we think the world breaks down into three basic types descended from the caveman days in terms of conflict. Then negotiation is conflict, whether or not you want to accept that or not. So there's fight, flight, and make friends. You know, when the caveman that we're descended from saw something mysterious on the jungle path, they either fought it, they ran from it, or they made friends with it. Those are the three cavemen that survived. We completely agree with Harvard on this. We call the names a little bit differently. Literally polled tens of thousands of people globally from all countries and have seen that the world splits pretty evenly into thirds. Fight, flight, make friends. Now the make friends type wants a batna because that's as far as they know they can get pushed. And they're gonna keep backing down quickly, quickly, quickly to preserve the relationship. And they'll stop at that point. Now the intellectual reason for batna is not so you get shoved to it right away. Intellectually, it's supposed to make you feel better Consequently, you will stick to your original position more effectively. In point of application, that's not what happens because we're human beings. And those of us that come from the hostage negotiation world are like, bad man. Practically speaking, it's not just a useless idea, but it's an idea that more often than not handicaps our thinking. So if Batner isn't the answer... What would be a good alternative then? So if somebody is going into what can feel more black and white, more binary as a negotiation, which is you'd like a pay rise or you want a promotion. And perhaps you've got, with your pay rise, you've got a number in mind, or maybe you've got a new job, you've been offered a new job and you've got a number in mind that you want that salary to be. Rather than going, well, this is my batner and then you're probably going to end up there or maybe even worse off than that. What's a better way to kind of mentally approach those kind of conversations? Well, how do I become more valuable? And then as you make yourself more valuable and you talk with your employer about becoming more valuable, you get a great readout as to whether or not you're in the right job. Now, if you're in the right job and nine out of 10 times you are, that this specific conversation is going to accelerate your career and you're going to get paid more. And in the one in 10 times, that's a great diagnostic of you beginning to plan your exit because your future's looks bad. Like when I was teaching at USC, it was the first time I ever got asked this question. I'm sure the dynamic was there. Otherwise, one of the women in my class said, 
you know, I'm working at a job where they're famous for paying women less than men. And I want to know how to negotiate a better deal with company. And I said, all right, so I'm going to answer this question like I was your dad. And you just said, dad, my boyfriend beats me. How do I get him to stop beating me? And my answer to you is you need a new boyfriend. Now, if you're working in a place that is not going to work with you to increase your salary and your value intentionally, that's actually a bad business strategy. And that company's going to go out of business, which means you're going to eventually you're going to lose that job because they're going to go bankrupt or they're going to get bought, which effectively is like losing their job. Because when a new company comes in, you've just been taken hostage by a whole new set of rules or they're not going to make enough money to pay you anyway. None of these scenarios are good if they're not willing to work with you to be more valuable It's coming to a close on the near horizon, one way or the other. You might not like that information, but you've just been made smarter. You'll always be willing to be smarter today than you were yesterday. Going from wondering to knowing, even if knowing is bad news, that's another thing we teach people in a black swan method. Wondering if something is a dead end leaves you in a state of uncertainty and limbo, which is bad for your decision-making. Now, knowing it's a dead end was not the news you were looking for, but you just got smarter and you're always better off going from uncertainty to certainty, which is why we encourage people to explore options to find out where the dead ends are because you just got smarter. Plus, you may have picked up some information on the way to that dead end that's going to be useful to you in the future. You know, if knowledge is power, then information is influence. And the more information and data you get, the more influence you're going to have. I think that will really help people because what that gets us away from, and I think that people sometimes find really hard, I think because negotiation ends up feeling very binary sometimes as a skill for someone. And so maybe they would like to work part-time, maybe they'd like more money, maybe they'd want to work on different projects. But I think if you stress test those things and you have those conversations and you do all the things that we've started to describe today, you've done your preparation, you've had those conversations with that tactical empathy and you've explored and you've built that relationship. And if ultimately you get to that thing that is really important to me is not going to happen, then you've got some choices and some decisions to make. But that's so much better than being in that state where you think, well, this is not right for me, but I'm making no progress. I don't feel like I've got any, I'm not moving forward and I'm not I'm not learning and growing because I'm not finding out anything. It's a process of... I think if you saw this as a process of discovery and learning versus a process of winning versus losing, I think for me, certainly when I've approached it more that way, it completely changes your mindset and helps you to stay, I think, more adult to adult, you know, in those conversations and you're more calm. I think you, you talk a bit in the book about the how you stay calm and collected and, and sort of not let those negative emotions kind of take over in the moment, which I think can feel really hard. If people do have that, because I think that might be quite a common feeling where let's imagine you're now in the moment and it's not going very well. So you feel like you're maybe getting shut down by the other person. Maybe it's stalling. You're feeling really stuck. And, you know, if I'm imagining myself at this moment, I'm probably getting quite hot, quite sweaty, and you're starting to feel quite flustered. And you feel like, okay, I have, I had got the best intentions. I felt really in control. And now I feel really out of control. What would you advise to people to do kind of in that moment? Should you try and 
like stop that conversation as soon as you can and kind of walk away and come back and try again? Do you try and slow yourself down? Do you ask a question? Are there just any like tools and tactics that people do find themselves a bit stuck in the moment, things that, that might be helpful? Yeah, you know, um, that's a great question. And, you know, there's a variety of tools. You know, you should have two or three ready at any given point in time because, you know, each one is going to work more or less effectively for you depending upon the moment. You know, circumstance drive strategy. Now, I know if I use the late night FM DJ voice, it'll calm you down and begin to take the anger out of the negotiation. It'll also calm me down. Sometimes I use the voice override to calm me down because besides using it, I also hear it. When it comes out of my mouth and goes into the air, it goes into two sets of ears. One of them is my own. So I will, if I'm really having a problem in the moment, and I do, I will go to that. I find that frequently uh, the president of my company, the Black Swan Group, is my son, Brian. And so, you know, we get heated with each other sometimes. And we'll try to use the voices and override. And there have been moments when either he has said or I've said, like, look, before I say something that gets us out of control, I, I just, I just, I need to take a break. Because we respect each other, we always do that. And we get a cooling off time frame. Now, if you need a break, any other person is not willing to give you a break, your boss or whomever it is, that's a great indicator of someone that you need to be planning your exit strategy from. You know, it's good to know what deals can't be made. Hostage negotiators get a 93% success rate. And that means. It's 7% of the time, it's going to go bad. It's not because of you. No matter how talented you are, the circumstances can override your best intentions and your best abilities. It's that way in business. You could have done the negotiation perfectly and the other side is never going to make a deal with you based on their fears, based on the constraints, based on a bunch of things. If you're in a contentious negotiation and the other side will not give you a timeout, that's what we would fall into the category of the seven percenters. And accepting the difference between best chance of success and guarantees of success, because there are no guarantees. You just need your best chance. And the last tool I wanted to ask you about, because I just thought it was really interesting, we talk a lot about asking open questions and how useful they can be as part of negotiations. You talk about this idea of something called calibrated questions, which is not like it's not a phrase or a term that I'd come across before before reading your work. And you suggest that maybe why questions and lots of people talk about why, why questions and why they're so important may not be as useful, certainly not in a negotiation scenario. So I wondered if you could just describe a bit what calibrated questions are and also how they're useful. Sure. And we say our list of calibrated questions are what, how and rarely why. What, how, and rarely why? Why is a surgical strike? People love to be asked what and how. What do you want to do? How do you want to proceed? What's the biggest challenge you face? What are our obstacles? And what they do is they trigger in-depth thinking. We call them calibrated questions because they're calibrated for a fact. And they're actually more calibrated to trigger thinking than they are to actually get an answer. The answer is a secondary gain. The primary gain is you're trying to get somebody to think about something and you're asking them a deferential question in a deferential way 
and they have no idea that you just put their brain on a topic specifically and you put them in a deep thinking mode. And that's the design of a calibrated question. Now, what's wrong with why? Globally, every human being on earth, whether you were a Buddhist or a Christian or a Muslim or a Jewish, when you were a little kid, two years old, three years old, and you did something wrong, you pulled something off a table, why is what somebody says when we've made a mistake? And the real problem is even adults do that. They may ask why when they genuinely want to know, but you watch adult behavior. Every single time somebody thinks somebody did something wrong, they will say, why did you do that? So there's even a lot of reinforcement in the adult world. We call it a surgical strike because it's going to trigger defensiveness. And that is not good for your relationship. Yeah. Unless you're getting them to defend you. And we, we train people all the time to say, why me? And an employee can say it to an employer in, in a job interview. I mean, why are you guys looking at me? I mean, why me? Why have I caught your eye? They're going to defend you. And when you're up for a race, why are you keeping me around? I mean, why have I still even got a job? It's so counterintuitive. But this defensiveness, and actually when you do that, you're triggering, you're punching two buttons emotionally that people just cannot resist. They're defending you, but they're also correcting. And correction is an addiction. And the phrase, people don't remember what you said, they remember how you made them feel. People will tell you stuff by correcting you that they would never tell you otherwise. And since it felt so good, they'll never regret that admission. And so we've covered a really wide range of kind of different, some of it I think is more about our mindset that you take to negotiations and some of it is a skill set. And I think often we're trying to bring together those two things when we think about a skill that we want to practice and improve and get better at is what's the mindset that we need and what's the skill set that we need. When you've worked with people, is there a th- one thing that you think every time it just seems to have a really big impact on people in terms of their ability to negotiate really well. And I know there are lots of things, but is there one thing where you think, well, if everybody just remembered this or if everyone tried out this thing, it just gets you started in the right path or in the right way if they're trying to improve their negotiation? Either hearing the other side out first or summarizing their perspective first, which then leads to hearing them out. I mean, that is such an accelerator of outcomes. And it's people are principally reluctant to do it because it seems really indirect or it seems against your own interests to summarize the other side's perspective that they might use against you where they articulate it. What it ends up doing is just accelerating things. Like, you know, in my book, I talk about when I I bought my uh, SUV. Not only was it the brand that I wanted, but it was a color that I was just completely seduced by. And so, you know, the salesman's going to pick up how in love with this SUV I am and how much I love the color. And he's going to use that against me unless I say, you know, I love this SUV. I love the color. I, you know, I literally said to him, this is the sexiest color I have ever seen. I mean, I'm so in love with this color. And then I told him I couldn't pay his price. All the reasons why the SUV was valuable and worth the price. I said for him, I said, you know, this is, 
your brand is impeachable. It's the most durable, it's the highest quality brand out there. This is the most beautiful color I've ever seen. I love it. I love it. I'd probably pay more for it. And on top of that, I can't find this anywhere else. I've looked the entire metro area. You're the only one that's holding on to this. So I can't get it anywhere else. But how am I supposed to pay your price? I articulated all of the reasons he was going to use why I had to pay the price, pro and con. And as soon as I said them, he just, he just was, he blinked. I mean, he didn't know what to say. He just kind of looked at me and blinked and went in the back and got me a better offer. And last question that we ask all of the guests that join us on the podcast, which is, is there a piece of career advice that you would share with our listeners that can either be your own career advice that you'd like to share, or perhaps it's some advice that someone's given you that's just really stuck with you and has been really helpful in your career? I've heard some advice, which I probably did a little bit of my career as the FBI agent, I heard one guy say, run to trouble. It's all hands on decks. People want people that want to jump in. And a similar version of that, you're not running to trouble, you're running to strategic critical futures, which is an even better step up. Because also there's far fewer criticism there and people are rooting for you much more. I did a keynote for a company and then we, part of the deal was to follow on conversation with the owner of the company and his top employees, his top producers. And of course, they're going to ask me how to get more money, how to get a better salary out of him in front of him. And I said, sit down with him and say, how can I be guaranteed in projects critical to our strategic future? And he was a little leery as to what I was going to say. <laughs> and when I laid that out, he said, I wish every employee I had came to me and asked that question. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you now feel more confident about the next negotiation you need to have. As a reminder, you can get all of our podcast resources now in one place by signing up to our weekly pod mail. The link for that is in your show notes. And if there's a topic you'd like us to cover in the future, if there are guests that you would like to hear from, please do let us know. You can either contact us by messaging us on LinkedIn or on something like Instagram where we're at Amazing If. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening and we'll be back with you again soon. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 